Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. It's like that theory, like that, theory that rock and roll was born by white boys who didn't know how to play um, yep. blues music. Badly played blues music was the, was the spark, you know, the divine spark. You know, yeah. Scotty Moore or whatever, you know, Scotty Moore just not quite getting the yeah. timing. But there was a sort of earnestness as well about yeah. that. But still, I mean, they're giving it everything they've got. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanging on for dear life. Mm. I suppose it's also with sport acts, it's the fact that they know they're only on for 25 minutes. So they don't hang around, do they? No. Yeah, they yeah, make you... their impact really, yeah. really quickly. There's no sense of pacing, is there? Yeah, yeah, and your idea, I suppose you calibrate success by the fact that, you know, not too many people leave and there isn't too much shuffling in between songs. And I, think you calibrate, whoop. I think you calibrate success on the basis of is there anybody in the audience that you're not actually related to? Yes. You've done well. You, you, you're trying to pretend you're not embarrassed by the fact your mother is in fact standing <laughs> in the front row waving a banner. Your mother's got a, your mother's got a leather trousers on. Jerry. Okay, that's, that's, right, yeah. that's my boy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Welcome to the Word Podcast. Uh, we're joined this week uh, by Paul Dinoy. Hello, Paul. Hello. Fresh from uh, another trip to Liverpool. Signing books, I understand. Uh, that's right, yes, at, uh, at the place used to be called the Virgin Megastore, whose name I'm Oh, still... Z- Zavi! Zazu. Zazu. Snafu. It's awful, it's simultaneously really, really unusual and yet not memorable. You yes, know, that's how right. How do you manage that uh, <laughs> yeah. malign it's, it's a rare balance. They must have paid a branding agency to get that, to get that kind of balance. We've also got Matt Hall here in the huge grey headphones. Hello, Hello Matt. And, and Mark Ellen's brought his ukulele. We've had, a, we've, had a lot of reaction. we've had a lot of reaction to the ukulele from last week, where you paid the theme. I know, I was quite thrilled, actually. Very grateful for everybody who wrote in. And, uh, and somebody, John B. says he has to agree with your assertion that the ukulele is the next big thing. He says, but does he have a Gibson Flying V version? My son's got one of those. I couldn't believe it. He has. They have little tiny miniature Flying Vs, four strings, <laughs> white, and I believe pink and blue. And they come in in better, obviously, V-shaped cases. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old joke about V-shaped coffins, I just remembered, actually. Well, not yeah. at all. But anyway. 
<laughs> Sorry, I can't get that out of my head. Um, but anyway, it does look rather sweet when you're walking along, and uh, he used to use it to busk in Brighton once, and so it is quite funny. So it, it looks like the Brighton yeah. but in every other respect, it behaves entirely it like you. Just like you. You get out this. You get out this terrifying yeah. heavy metal instrument. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you strike your first chord, and it goes. And it goes <laughs> <laughs> Which is, oh. which is when people start throwing yeah. rotten vegetables at you. Yeah, but uh, uh, they do exist. And I think this guy is more one, is he? Or he knows that they He's, exist. Uh, he said that he, but the guy turned up in his pub uh, with somebody, well, one for his 16-year-old son. Apparently he and his mates are all playing. I love it. I love the way that you're a bit embarrassed to play the uke because it is very cool. But once you get a flying V uke, it's That's kind of right. okay. Exactly. I just think it's, it's acceptable. strike one for private enterprise, that is. Isn't it? You know, that somebody <laughs> sat there and thought, I know what it needs. The flying V ukulele. Uh, and then Nick, Nick White, who presumably is a teacher, so ukuleles are indeed in. I've just bought a shipload for our school. The theory being that a badly played uke is easier on the ear than a badly paid recorder. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Very do you, true. Do you, any of your so children true. have a go with a uke recorder early on, Paul? Uh, no, I, I, I can still play the recorder. Uh, for the <laughs> delight of the whole family. <laughs> Flying V recorder. <laughs> But, but the, I think the ukulele has been brought back in by um, uh, Joe Brown, actually. A nice circularity in this. Joe Brown was the English guitarist who single-handedly turned on a whole generation of English would-be guitarists to the instrument. And I now I think he's done the same for the ukulele, because he picked up where... Um, Mac was doing this thing at the end of his concert. He would do a tribute right. to George, wouldn't he? He'd play he something on the on ukulele. The yeah. And then at the big George Harrison tribute gig at the, um, at the Albert Hall... The grand finale was the least expected thing. You know, after all these megastars, the Claptons and so on, have been on and done their bit, Joe Brown, whom most people can't remember, and certainly amongst the Americans have got no idea of at all, yeah. comes on solo in the spotlight and plays this really heart-rending version of I'll See You In My Dreams on the ukulele. Beautiful. It's, and the flowers see- come down from the ceiling. Exactly. exactly. It's, kind of, it's, it's certainly done wonders for Joe Brown as well. It's now central to his act. Oh, is and, it really? Uh, I went out to a barbecue around at his house. Uh, no. Oh, yeah. And, I went um, to a barbecue at Just drop that in, Kate. Oh, I'm sorry. You know. That's the first LP record I ever bought. Joe Brown's a picture of you. Go on, tell Yeah, me. and well, it, well he, has, uh, he has a nice uh, studio built in this uh, sort of Tudor barn. And uh, he's got all his guitars um, along the wall there. But the most magical thing of all is the ukulele that right. he now plays to finish off every concert with his little George um, tribute. It is. Yeah, so... So, so how old is Joe Brown? Um... You probably find he's only a year or two older than the Beatles, oh, really? like Tommy Steele and um, uh, Billy Fury. Because he looks people. sinfully young, doesn't he? Still, he does. Well, he's still got that uh, the, the, the bog brush haircut, yes. as they called it. Yeah. Which is a scene fine service. So that, really. yeah. <laughs> but the Uke is a sort of link, I think, between the kind of rock and roll generation and the, and the generation that came before, who grew up listening to music hall. Really, George Formby, George, George Formby, Formby precisely, yeah. Yeah. and also to Skiffle, because yeah. um, you know there's a lovely bit in the article that we had in, in Word about. Um, the travelling Wilburys and how when they were making their record they would they liked nothing more in the evenings than to relax with a bottle of wine a, a takeaway pizza and get the ukes out and I just love the idea of Dylan and Tom Petty probably doesn't play a uke because he's American but the English you know all sitting yeah. around George Harris strumming away on their ukes Bob Dylan playing when, when I'm, I'm cleaning, cleaning windows, windows. <laughs> all, the, all the tune I'm working on when I'm cleaning Vim Vendors which I think is quite funny <laughs> do you think it'll work maybe not I don't know. so anyway Mark <laughs> you've, been, you've been spotted by Trevor Raggett who's been in touch with the website, wordmagazine.co.uk. It says, No surprises that Mr. Allen has picked up a uke tinkle on, since I happened to see him schmoozing like crazy at the borderline at Uncle Earl's gig on Monday night. Fantastic night. Five-girl, old-timey string band 
with a mixture of guitars, banjos, mandolins, mandolas, fiddle, banjo, ukulele, and clog dancing. All that. Schmoozing like crazy, I think it's overcooking it, but it means I was talking to a member of Uncle Earl. Oh, right. <laughs> as you do Now, this is, this is in your record-breaking gig-going week, isn't it? I do, well, I saw, I don't know how I, why it happened, but I saw 11 groups in the, the last four days, of uh, which Uncle Earl were, were only one. It was an 11th of my uh, grand sum total. But I have to tell you, one of the highlights of this was, uh, I saw six of them, in fact, one night, so it's like I was cheating, so, at the recording of Later with Jules Holland, which I assume has probably gone out this weekend. Because I particularly wanted to go and see Manu Chow again, who I like very much, and Orchestra Baobab. But the cherry on the cake for my wife and uh, our friend Michelle, who I brought along with me, was the Mighty Baby Shambles. And, of course, you know, even if you don't like Mighty Baby Shambles, Shambles, or in fact, the Mighty Baby Shambles, or if you don't like uh, you know, Doherty or disapprove of him, you know, there's still something intensely fascinating about being in the same room as this apparent car crash. You know. <laughs> we get a lot of the BBC, and you can imagine that the audience has been queuing up you know, in, in, in the cold for quite a long time, a lot of them being uh, Baby Shambles supporters who've gone through a great deal of effort to, to apply for a ticket and are identifiable by, uh, identifiable by their little um, pork pie hats there stick-like legs and their waxy complexion <laughs> and general sense of isolation and they're misery. They're immense patience. And they're immense patience. I know, incredible, this long-suffering looks. And they get in there and the floor manager comes out and says, he's a bit of a character who looks a bit like uh, Bill Oddie. He says, here we go, bit of good news, bit of bad news. Bad news is old baby Shamble's old turning up. I think old Pete's been up to his, you know, recreational tricks again, you know. And these guys, you can see them wilting like, like balloons that are quietly deflating as if they've lost the will to live, you know, as if the power supply has been turned up. He said, but here comes the good news. We've got a substitute at the last minute. Just come from around the corner. Right in the old rehearsal studio. Brought his band too. It's only James Blunt. <laughs> but of course, I thought this was a sort of a joke. Seriously? Yeah, so this is a joke because they're thinking, well, obviously, that you know, a substitute for baby shambles. James Blunt, if, if, uh, can you get further you know, at the other end of the spectrum? Apart from Cliff Richard reforming the shadow. The anti-shambles. <laughs> the anti-shambles. <laughs> And these guys were, I mean, they were just had lost the world. They were, they were, they were virtually in Was tears. he serious? James Blunt, at which point the door opened. Okay. Seriously? Five people who looked exactly like James Blunt, who, because the other four members of his group, I've now seen him play three songs, the other four members of his group have modelled themselves precisely on James Blunt. James Blunt and the Blunts. And the Blunts and the Blunts, exactly. So he came out and filled this lot. So I mean, Baby the, Shambles did not play James Blunt. And were Blunt, replaced by James Blunt and his hilarious. band. Oh, yes, yeah. Thank God they weren't paying customers because I think they might have been pelted with fruit. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking talking about James Blunt in the office this morning. I don't know if you saw the huge pall of smoke over the East London, uh, which is you know all over the websites this morning, which is apparently a fire down at a factory down in Hackney or whatever. But the speculation in the office was that actually Pete Doherty had fallen asleep with a fag on. Down Hoxton Way, yeah. and there was you know, yeah, with an oil refinery next door. Yes. Yeah, it'd be like that fabled the absinthe um, distillery in France, wouldn't it? The ones that it, the one in Paris. That, oh yes, that, that they set fire to by mistake in the eighteen nineties, and it burned for three weeks. Right. <laughs> like Doherty's corpse. It, <laughs> <laughs> it just won't disappear. <laughs> Helicopters spraying. <laughs> It's all the best possible taste, listeners. <laughs> so that was your evening later. It was, yeah. And then what else? You went to see Uncle Earl. I went to see The Shins, which I enjoyed uh, enormously with a, a, another pal of mine. We were right down the front. And the highlight of that was the girls that we were standing next to were just so funny. And instead of applauding, they just shouted out, um, Well done, The Shins! Well done, The Shins! Congratulations for being so good at music! <laughs> and this, it started to spread to the point where people stopped applauding. In fact, the whole of the front of the audience was just going, can we have another song, please, The Shins? Like this. 
I mean, Shins being, uh, you know, not English, was slightly mystified by this behaviour, you know, and, uh, but soldiered on regardless. That was good. So was somebody good. had just done that of their own, of their own bat, had they? What, starting this little yeah, t- yeah, entirely, yeah. They just thought it was funny, which indeed it was. You know. That's unique, isn't it? It is. Because people don't go in for individual behaviour no, or kicks, do no, they? No, they don't. They behave completely yeah, but it like really, sheep. It really became a movement. Generally. Yeah. God, that's a rare case, it that was, is, isn't it? It's a collector's item. It is. That was good. A very good night out. What else? Beth Rowley, I saw. And, oh, uh, yes, Beth yeah, Rowley. Tell us about great. Beth Rowley. Beth Rowley, I didn't know much about her, actually. But she's a sort of um, soul singer, I guess. She played at a place called like La Pigale. Yes, she does. She goes to the West Coast. Played at a place called La Pigale, which is a little uh, Piccadilly sort of old diner. Really. She was. The, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. She was the person who was described to me in a press release by her quite young PR as being like a younger but Joss Stone. Oh yes, I got that. But I wrote back to her. And, and it's like, oh what? dear, you know, yeah. don't don't liken anybody to Joss Stone and yeah. think that I'm going to like them as a concert. <laughs> you know, I can't remember was the other ones she used Nora Jones and Joss. Nora Jones, yeah, that's right. But, but anyway, else, she's a bit better than that. She, she? Better. No, she was great. Yeah, yeah, I think she may well be on our CD. And anything else? That was about it, actually. You know, uh, you have to go and have Kano and Damon Albarn. That was quite good fun. The what? And, uh, and Dion. I saw Dion. The who? I saw Kano. Dion. And he's forgotten. Kano and Damon Albarn together. They were later. Also, also Dion. Uh, Dion. As of the Wanderer. Dimucci. Um, Dion Dimucci. Yeah, yeah. Who was? I had no idea he was still going. I met Dion. Go on. I met Dion in New York. No, what do you matter? He made a record. Uh, oh, he makes he makes one of those guys who makes comeback records every six or seven years. He, he, he finds some other stellar patron. I think it was Bruce Springsteen last time round. Uh, oh. You know, somebody who talks about how they admire Dion. It was. You're and, right. and you know, they kind of come back. They're signed to a major label. There's a few interviews. They sell four records, and then they're back on their arse again. He gets kind of lauded as having one of the best rock voices of all time, though. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, those early Dion records, you know, Run Around Sue and Drip Drip and all those things, are absolutely astonishing records. And I suppose, you know, he's, he's like Joe Brown, started very young, so he's probably only in his, <laughs> you know, in his early 60s now. Was he wearing a huge great cap? Wearing a, yeah, a cap. Well, I couldn't see it quite a long way off. Look at that beret, which is right, yes. just follicular I th- loss. I, th- I think that's the word. I think <laughs> the follicular loss happened round about, you know, <laughs> when, when, in, in when, the when the Mersey sound. <laughs> <laughs> But John F. Kennedy, you know, I so think, I think he's had I think there's been a steady supply of Tom Sawyer arrangements <laughs> here to kind, of, to kind of cover up the problems there. One thing that we've not touched on for the last kind of, in the last few months, which is quite strange, is uh, Mr. Phil Spector's t- t- travails. Uh, yeah, but his, uh, his particular follicular. Oh, uh, we wrote a little piece about it in the magazine actually—a little strip of photographs uh, pointing out the absurdity of the. Um, uh, polypropylene thatch that he now has super glued <laughs> to the top of his head. <laughs> I just made that up, by the way. Just <laughs> and uh, yeah, waterproof too, I believe. Yeah, you always got an organic fiber. You always feel that one end of it is connected to a fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like an old Spike Milligan gag. So some dreadfully serious cat. point in court. Somebody's going to whip it off. Like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the hair is just going to disappear into you know beyond the Los Angeles city limits. That's right. The, the, the thing, the, the Phil Spector picture that I do recommend everybody sees is a picture of. Well, he's not appearing in court anymore because they've gone for a retrial. Oh, yeah, I, I can't well, follow it. Was, it. it was hung jury and so forth. Uh, was was him arriving in court with his minders? Did you see his, his minders were literally twice the size of him. You know, his minders between them could have just picked him up, 
chucked him in the top pocket. But we're going to talk talking about Phil Spector a bit later on, actually. Yeah. He plays a part in our hoary old rock anecdote. All oh, right. Uh, Excellent. The word. So, uh, something else that we had loads of comeback from the, from the viewers on. Uh, is this business about turning spam into gold? We decided that there had to be, had to be a use for all that oh, yes. unpleasant spam that you find yourself uh, receiving all the time. And, and if you take, basically, if you take the, the name of the co- supposed correspondent and you take, the, uh, you take the title line of the email, you very often come out with, with what sounds like a, a lost classic. Now, first of all, they were sounded like country music records, but now they're starting to sound slightly R&B-ish. And so what I want you to do is, is imagine the artists who might be behind, such as Harvey G. Hart's, if you treat your filly like a goddess, why not become a god in her bedroom? <laughs> don't, don't you see a man, a man leaning back on cushions there, probably yeah. with a gold yes. medallion? Yeah. It's like that uh, Lenny Henry, cigarettes. Lenny Henry uh, character, Theophilus P. Oh, yeah, Wildebus. Wildebus. Yes. Brilliant. And... Um, Annabelle G. Caron, don't be afraid to take off your pants in her bedroom. And Paul, who got in touch, says possibly a Willie Nelson tune. You can well imagine kind of turning out a Willie Nelson album and finding on your back, you know, a track called Don't Be Afraid to Take Off Your Pants in Her Bedroom. <laughs> um, other favourites, Letitia David, Separate Yourself from Other Man. Got a, got, a sort of, got a sort of musical quality to it, hasn't it? As a title, it it's kind of, to me, it's kind of Betty Everett, you know, the yes. clean, clean up woman. Absolutely. Sort of... Betty Wright, yeah, yeah, all that kind of thing, yes. Uh, and my personal favourite, Guadalupe McCarthy. <laughs> the selling is over. It's time, it's time for, for a squeeze. squeeze. Guadalupe, oh, I want to feel that there is an obscure R&B singer somewhere called Guadalupe McCarthy. Somebody a bit like Swamp Dog or Johnny Guitar Watson, those kind of people. Now, the one that I liked, which made me think of an R- possibly an R. Kelly B-side, was Freaking Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that was by, that was by Tanisha Heston. Freaking Cheap. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Freaking Cheap. That's very funny. Um, I can't help but think that Elizabeth Merrill's Gay Boys at Home is actually a Smith's or a Morrissey song. Can you see? I have a Pet Shop Boys fan for that one. Oh, okay. Track 10 on the new Pet Shop yeah, Boys yeah, It's called remix. Gay Boys at Home. Yeah. You can see it, can't you? And then finally, Vincent Granger, onion treadmill, sex signature, bomb chisel teeth. Now, that, is, that is on an album of, um, of Captain Beefheart outtake. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, no, it's the fall, surely, isn't it? That? That's um, so it's extraordinary stuff. And something that Rob started on the site this week, Rob Fitzpatrick, was had the brilliant thought that how is it that piano players are not sex symbols? Which never occurred to me before. That the you know, the piano player is never the glamour boy of the group. And he offers in you know, in evidence He's done a lot of uh, Well he's done some of the research here. Although well, I've just thought of one that actually uh, Well go on, you go through the ones that who well, prove he's this here, people um, and no disrespect to any of them for listening, but Jules Holland, Gary Barlow, Keith Emerson, Merton McTalbert. <laughs> Commander Cody. Cody. Fair, I can't defend the car, no oil painting. <laughs> Donald Fagan. Fagan, think about enough. it, girls. Yeah. Uh, Randall Doe, Randy Newman, Tom Waits, Leon Russell. My God, yes, that's a good point. And Lionel Richie. And Lionel Richie. And then, of course, who can forget? Oh, he says, but on the other hand... Oh, here we are. No, these, these are sent suggested ah, by readers, actually. Yes, oh. on the other hand. Good-looking piano players. Good-looking piano players. Right, Harry Connick Jr. Uh, Steve Wimmer. The one I was going to mention, Jackson Brown. No one's ever 
held it against Jackson Brown that he was. He uh, mainly plays the guitar. Does yeah, he? You think of him more as a. Oh, really? Okay. All right. All right. the guitar. I would, really. The most poignant example in the way is Ian Stewart, who wasn't even allowed to be in the band. Very good. Very good. When Andrew Alden was restyling the Rolling Stones, he didn't want. He didn't really want a piano player, but he certainly didn't want this conventionally good-looking bloke. I mean, yeah. Ian Stewart was not. Oh, Square Jawed. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's a slightly different way of looking at this. Ian Stewart was the man thrown out the Rolling Stones literally because his face didn't fit. Literally. Yes. Because he had a medical condition that meant his jaw grew disproportionately to the rest of his head. At what sort of speed did he no. go? It really worried me, though, okay. Not visibly. Dave's lowered his voice to a conspiratorial whisper. <laughs> not during Medical information. Not during Not during voice, no. Now, for the benefit of younger listeners, it's worth, it's worth doing this, actually. Ian Stewart. Never thought of Ian Stewart. He was, he was the Rolling Stones, Ian Stewart, in the early days. He was the guy who had a job. He was the guy who drove the gigs. He was a proper musician. He was the guy who knew all about it. He was also the guy, I think I'm right in saying, the guy who knew Brian Jones and introduced him to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Yeah, that, that and made there, the Rolling Stones happen. So he was the proper musician. Wasn't there an intermediary stage between between his uh, unkind departure and their live performance when he played backstage? Yes, yeah, behind, yeah, behind yeah, the behind even through all the face. They I said, know. Yeah. Yeah, we're not, we don't. We want you in the band. We need you in the band. We just don't want people looking at you. <laughs> yeah. So he has to be hidden from view behind the curtain. Oh, no, no. Also, the jaw condition would have had the effect of making his mouth seem smaller in proportion, wouldn't it? As the jaw because he, he looked older. He didn't look. He didn't fit. He didn't look he didn't like fit. he was in that generation. Andrew Oldham, yeah. you know, made absolutely the correct, if heartless, decision. Yes. That's yes. what managers are paid to do, isn't yeah. it? Oh, you know, yeah. To stand back from the group and say, "I tell you what, he doesn't fit. He does." He also made the fatal repeat best ever of, of, of refusing to comb his hair forward. In those days, to persist with your real cream habit. Oh, yeah. So true. Yeah. You, 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 that you, was you, on you, Besties you, Undoing, wasn't it? You, you, you were yesterday's man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were reversing into the 1950s. You were. You were facing backwards, weren't yeah. you? Yeah, God, I never thought of that. Yeah. That is so true. So simple, isn't it? If it, oh, Pete Best must think now, if I only just... It's so simple, just not that way with the old comb, that way. And now I'd be living in Los Angeles with a big pile of cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, prime example, though, of the, uh, of the ugly piano player. The example of, we'll take your name, we'll call the band after you, but you'll still be the ugly piano player. Manfred Mann. Oh, yes. Oh, right. Ooh, yes, yeah. absolutely. That's yes, it was the Manfred Mann group, wasn't it? Or yeah. the Mann... Was that a man hug blues jazz brothers or something like that? I would think it was called. But as far as everybody was concerned, he was a singer. Yeah, it was the Manfreds. Paul James fella. We are the Manfreds, exactly. Uh, but I'm fascinated about the whole John, business. Joe Jackson just knows a few more on his bit of paper. Yeah, Bruce Hornsby. Bruce yeah. Hornsby. Ben yeah. Folds. Gilbert O'Sullivan. It works. It does. Now, work. why? There's the question for you. Why are piano players not as good looking? And guitar players. I mean, there might be a kind of sociological tendency for the more studious sort of young chap to play his parents, um, the piano in the park. Maybe grand. And, yeah. and I wonder, are they, are they dying out now as well? I mean, in the old days, every house with a halfway claim to respectability used to have a piano, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. The parlour. don't know if that's true anymore. No, it's not. But it might have been the more studious fellow who stayed on Saturday morning to do his piano. Well, that's the fact, yeah. isn't it? As as the music music Absolutely, yeah. because the only way to learn how to play the piano is the proper way. You yeah. don't, with very rare exceptions, 
sit down at the piano and just work it out. No, but there was no kind you of... You have work. to be taught. Yeah. You have to be taught to read music and to play very basic things. Then yeah. you might do stuff on top. Yeah. There was no Burt Whedon play in a day. No. <laughs> play in a day at the piano. No, 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 cool oh, times. no. You know, <laughs> whereas, uh, you know, the, uh, the guitar attacked, attracted the kind of flybonites who came along later who'd been too busy chatting up girls until about 17. But also, but, there, there must be something against it as a, as a, as a, uh, a lead performer, or, you know, front, front person of a group, that you... Immobility is a fantastic handicap. You can't yeah. pose you behind cannot, the piano. You can't move around the stage. You and you also have to sit down. Despite Elton's best efforts, exactly. Yeah. Richard well, gets away. Yeah. Oh, Elton, I, one of the first groups I ever saw was the Elton John Trio at the Guildford Civic Hall. Uh, if you're at all interested, on the 10th of January 1971, <laughs> and Elton, who was a, quite a, a plump individual, aged 23, with a frayed buckskin jacket was so um, concerned about this, his immobility at this piano that he tried to do, uh, unwisely, to do handstands on yes. his keyboard. <laughs> I can remember thinking this was absurd. He was not and he might damage the instrument too. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what's the most spectacular thing you've seen anybody do with a piano on stage? God, um... Rick, uh, what's Keith, it? Keith Emerson just put knives into it. <laughs> it, was like, it was like giving up, wasn't it? Like, oh, and I'll throw cutlery at it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, make I'll, it spectacular. I'll destroy my own instrument. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's the legendary, I've not, not seen it, of course, but the legendary, um, it was when um, Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard were touring together and they were yeah. constantly trying to. And yeah. Yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis insisted on going on stage last. He wouldn't go under the. You know, he wouldn't, yeah. His bill wouldn't be topped by. A, a dark-skinned gentleman. Yes, I remember this rather old-fashioned term. Savoury southern epithet of this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with the result that Little Richard went on first and then at the end of his set torched the piano. Actually, yeah. but poured petrol over it. Literally, literally follow that. And walked off. Right. And followed <laughs> that you know, the, in those days, they were having to use the same piano. God, that'll have to be in the piece that we're compiling for Word at the moment about health and safety ruined rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> And nothing is, is possible anymore. Because it's not. Sorry, I think we had this conversation last week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. Alice Cooper turned up with a snake tomorrow. I tell you what, we some strange-looking woman with no neck outside saying, you can't do that in here, mate. Sorry. <laughs> got to sign this chitty in You think you have to run it past the local health and safety would. officer? <laughs> Mr <laughs> Cooper, would you bring in your just, snake and yeah. can we just check you know, that... Um, there are, you know, exits enough, are cleared enough, and all uh, that. You know, serum available <laughs> for injection of the front row in case there's an accident. Oh, do you think? Oh, do you think yeah. Nils Lofgren would be able to do his, uh, you know, his no backflip off his trampette no, and all that? He, might, kind of he doesn't have any brains himself, but he might land on, the, on an innocent person, David, yeah. in the marsh. I suppose. You know? Is it a long time since anybody's really hurt themselves on stage? Well, a klaxon broke his leg the other day, but I suppose that's <laughs> nothing very... There's still more, two more klaxons if you'd been working on... You don't get sort of Frank Zappa... Plum- you know, Frank Zappa plummeting in the orchestra pit, well, partly because he's dead, but, you know, that kind of thing anymore. No, do you, you don't. People rushing on stage, rugby tackling people into the... No, no, again, I think I blame health and safety. They've <laughs> stepped in and spoiled the kids' fun. So anyway, if you, if you can think... There's a, there's, a, there's a thread going on the website called Don't Shag Him His Own Piano Player, uh, where you're <laughs> invited anybody, to suggest... Does anybody apply this to, to, to the opposite gender? Because I yes. Because I immediately thought of Kate Bush, you know, who's primarily, I think, a piano player. Yeah. Nora and Jones. by no means attacked by the ugly stick at any so, no. stage in her career. No. Nora Jones, Nora Jones. is another. Um, Fiona Apple is another. Laura Naira. Laura Naira. Doesn't apply to women. Doesn't apply to Richard Mitchell, Mitchell. Um, and obviously Carol King, yeah, all that kind of yeah. thing. 
It's a male thing. Uh, Alicia Keys. Lindsay DePaul. <laughs> Very Don't spoil lady. it. Very Just got a head of steam there. He along with his Lindsay DePaul. Oh, Ruins it for everyone. <laughs> another one from another one from the side here. Psychedelic song titles. Oh, yeah. Talking about the days when you used to read the song titles of upcoming albums, particularly psychedelic ones, and you used to get so excited about what they could possibly sound like. Oh yeah, like. yeah, absolutely. And Paul. Vincent points out that these were p- particularly associated with the Canterbury prog rock scene. And then he talks about Caravan, who had song titles like If I Could Do It All Over Again, I'd Do It All Over You. Which was a song covered by Bob Dylan in 1962, not original to the mighty Caravan, I have to say. Seriously? Oh, yeah, yeah. They quite, didn't quite have a rude sharp song. hit with that. Yeah, you cut me like a jigsaw puzzle. You made me into a walking wreck. It's a great song. Okay. So they've nicked that. Sorry, Caravan. Oh, well, Bang right. I thought it was always very arch, art school. Uh, yeah, something. Yeah, no, Dylan well. recorded a song of that name. Did he, also write a, did he also record a song called The Dog, The Dog, He's At It Again? Because that, that was another. That was another. Obviously. That was another Canterbury uh, uh, Caravan tune. Did no Tie Like a Present. No caravan? Tie Like a Present. My God. No, that, that was the Jags, wasn't it? Yes. Was it? I think that was a power pop group. Quite a funny one, though. Hatfield yeah. in the North uh, did a tune called Fitter Stoke Has a Bath. <laughs> Big John Wayne's Socks Psychology on the Jaw. This is all Alan's psychedelic breakfast era, isn't it? And finally Gong from Canterbury who had flute salad <laughs> and squeezing That's sponges good. over policemen's heads. heads. That's brilliant. Those were the days. And somebody made a note about how they used to have um, little uh, lines on the, on the um, sleeve note about the songs as well which I thought was a great era. Do you remember that? When the Bonzos used to have things like, a stuffed pig makes an attractive lampshade. <laughs> just been written underneath the name of the song. And again, when you hadn't heard either the song or the record or anything, it was so exciting when you in the record shop to read that. I used to just run home to Well, you it. see, that was... A, does anybody still, do youngsters, still go to the record shop and read the, sli- and read the, the track lists long before they buy them and hear them? Because that was a major part... Of being a music fan. It's a major part of how I learnt what I learnt in the 1970s was by hanging around Harlem Records in Crouch End, reading the sleeves yeah. of every record they had. And also Not fan- just the ones yeah, I wanted. fantasising about the titles because the melody maker would print what the titles yes. of the new Beatles record were going to be. Yeah. And you'd sit there and think, what could a song called Maxwell's yeah. Silver Hammer possibly sound yeah. like? You know, it was very exciting. I remember getting into T-Rex because... Their album titles were really challenging. Yes. Uh, they were about a paragraph long. Yes, they were. And once you'd memorised it, you were so proud of yourself yes. to memorise it, you had to go and buy the bloody thing somehow uh, to, to, um, to reinforce your investment in the whole project. So uh, once you'd memorised that uh, my people are fur and were sky in their hair, but now they're content to wear stars on their oh, brows, no. you couldn't let this knowledge go to waste, no. could you? You had to go into the show. See, I, I never, it's so true. true. I never had those records at all. But I knew. Yes, you didn't dead order them, Dave. No, you just knew it that they, it was part of the fun. And I'm not exaggerating when I say it was 50% of the fun was knowing that they had a record called Prophecies and Sages, the Angels, the Angels of, of the, the Ages. Ages. Absolutely. You just did. Because you knew that and nobody else did. Or nobody else in your class did. Or nobody else in your group did. And you used to go, and I'm not exaggerating, you'd go into record shops to commune with the records, to be near them. To be amongst them. It's like going to museums. I couldn't Hanging agree about. More. I don't think it can exist anymore. Can't do it. Because you can't feel like that about CD. 
Well, also because you know there isn't so much of a, <clears throat> a kind of preamble anymore. In Rainbows being a really good example because In Rainbows was available as a, re- as a record before I knew it was going to be coming out at all. So the whole process yeah, but, of excitement. But there's nobody who wants it who hasn't got it. There's nobody sitting there right now going, "Oh, I hope Mum's got me In Rainbows for Christmas." I'm going to wait yeah. seven, I, I weeks. seven weeks to hear it. It doesn't exist. I think, yeah. I think all that secret knowledge has transferred to the world of games, though, and yeah. cheats and. Ways of getting around a game, you know, it's knowledge that you exchange privately, isn't it? That's probably where that's a good point. That's probably where that um, kind yeah. of impulse yeah. has um, migrated. Yeah, yeah that need to be one step ahead of the crowd. We're working on a little piece uh, in the next issue uh, to do with the, the titles of records. But, uh, they've just re-released a record. This, this may be stressful for younger... In fact, I ought to say to older listeners, if you're driving in a car with small children, block their ears now. But the, the title of the, of the track was... It was an album called Bugger Off by Stack Waddy. Stack Waddy! <laughs> Remember that? And I just I thought it might be something in, in the magazine. Do anybody please contribute? If you can think of examples of this. And just of not only off-putting band names, but off-putting band titles. I mean, how... Little do you want to buy an album called Bugger Off by Stack Waddy? There's another great one called um, Hot as a Docker's Armpit by Budgie. Do you any more of those? Can, can, I, tell, can so, I tell my Budgie so story? Unlovable. But go on. Can you I got a Budgie my... story? You're kidding. Burke Shelley. Burke Shelley. Go on. I can't believe I've never told, I've told you this story. Go on, I've forgotten. forgotten. Go on. This is the most distasteful story, but I shall try and tell it as an elegant as possible. All children have got the figures in their ears anyway, thanks. And <laughs> Budgie, for me, have always been... And Budgie were a three-piece Welsh rock group in the early 70s who, to me, represent the absolute nadir of popular music. You know? <laughs> if Chuck Berry is at the top, Keep going down as far as you can possibly yeah. go, and you're going to meet Burke, Shelley, and Bunch. It's another baby shambles, James. Talking of, ha- <laughs> of hanging around in record shops, I can always remember hanging around in the local record shop where I used to grow up, and they're, they're looking at the budgie sleeves. They were like birds, budgies, but soldiers. Yeah, they were budgies. Oh, budgies turned into Spitfires. They were yeah, kind, they were kind of strafing things. Why? Yes. Yeah, Stuff. Anyway, Come on, I want to hear anyway, yeah, yeah. Budgie. I've always Budgie is the, is the name I always chucked in as the as the the metaphor, the simile for you know. For, it's as bad as Budgie, you know. And then one the day, uh, one day I was the stereophonics, the twenty first century Budgie. <laughs> I think they are. I, <laughs> we're, we're going off on a tangent here, but it's a fair point. I was, Dave, come on, I'll finish the story. I, was I want once, to hear it. I was once on an aeroplane. I was sitting next to a guy who was the, who was a manager of a band. I can't remember who they were. And he was telling me about his background, and he said, oh, he used to mar- manage Budgie. I said, oh, stop. Oh, good, you have children with us. Stop. <laughs> Please. You, you manage Budgie. Yeah. More said, white wine, please, C23. And for my friend here. I said, really, what were they like? He said, oh, funny bloke, Burke Shelley. <laughs> I said, really? I said, what? I couldn't remember that. <laughs> said, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Wait, funny in what way? He said. He said. It's just a terrible story. <laughs> Carry a turd in a shoe box. <laughs> I said, he used to carry a turd in a shoe box. I said, in 
instantly, you know, switching to the kind of scientific angle, I said, didn't it decompose? He said, oh, it did three tours, to my knowledge. <laughs> hey, there you go. But, you know, I heard the only story I know about. But, but... <laughs> Oh, God, I'd completely forgotten that. Oh, that's so funny, that story. Oh, my God. That was your hand. Oh, dear. Anyway, how do we get on the subject of... Well, we're talking about strange song titles, and uh, Somerville points out, the, of course, the eternal glory of Half Man and Half Biscuit oh, song yeah. titles. I'm actually crying. And, <laughs> and one I'd never come across. You know, we, we, we're very well aware of we built this village on a trad art. Oh, that's look. so But my favourite, which I'd never read before, is if I had possession of a pancake. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Which is based on the old gospel song, If I Had Possession of a Judgment Day. And uh, Improvised Workshop Mime Show Gobshite. (laughs) (laughs) It makes you want to hear all of them. What you got there, Mark? No, I just uh, said, we had this this piece about Carter in a magazine recently. And there was a lot of those, When Thesauruses Ruled the Earth. (laughs) The The only living boy in New Cross. (laughs) 24 minutes from Tulse Hill. <laughs> Don't rate me so far so good. I mean, they're pretty weak. But, and also, you know, a bit like some of those great uh, Morrissey solo album songs, you kind of know that when you've heard the title, you've probably got the best bit, but you don't, almost don't need to see the song. Oh, absolutely. They are quite funny. Oh, good grief. A magazine, a website, a podcast, The Word. So, Paul, tell us about your book's gone to the latest edition. Tell us, plug your book, Paul. Uh, the book, yes, Liverpool. Terrific. Liverpool, wondrous place. It's Published like, by? By Virgin Books. At a highly competitive... At a very... Nine pound nine. Yes, yes, twice. <laughs> and it's, um, it's got an extra chapter. Uh, added on the end in commemoration of um, the Capital of Culture Award to um, the City of Liverpool. So uh, that's what I've been doing the last, um, the last week up in the, uh, the home city, promoting the book. Good. Mobbed in the streets? Quite a lot of that, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know how it is. Paul, last time you were here, you couldn't reveal the big names that were lined up for the uh, City of Culture gigs. Can yes. You, but well, we've had exciting out, news yeah. on that front, actually. We've had to, uh, the venue has been switched. It was going to take place in a, in a dock um, by the other dock. And uh, there, was a, there, was, there was a secret plan, actually, to route, capture all the fish and stun them so that they could be taken to another dock really? whilst that dock was being um, drained of water. Did they run this past the star guest? Uh, well, I, 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 I just put the ice school works on really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> we just floated well, belly well, up to the well, I think the strange thing I was talking to the star guest, the, uh, the un- as there as yet unnamed star guest, Paul McCarthy, and he was saying, I never fancied playing that dog. Um, I didn't fan- and Andy McCluskey of Orchestral Maneuvers said, It's always a bad idea to play over water. Picked up my copy of The Word. This oh, morning. yes. That's exactly. What's Elvis Costello's um, uh, word of advice? Maxim is, is never, never play, play over water. Do you rather good? Because he had a very had. difficult experience today yeah. involving him being very drunk. Oh, Hastings 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 yeah. very really funny yeah. story. So, so this big concert's been shifted now to the Anfield uh, football ground. So fish don't have to be stunned. Yes. And uh, yes, right. no fish will be harmed at the end of this concert. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, what are you learning on the ukulele now, Mark? Um, I, I'm trying to learn um, when I'm cleaning Vim vendors, as I told you. And uh, yeah, I'm working on a whole campaign really for a, 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 a nuclear Britain. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I can't do much more than uh, I'm getting to a little finger picking style. Oh, I on. can do a tiny little go bit on, of that, but sort of.
working? Anyone tapping a toe? Not really. So I'm going to learn um, You're Crazy for Taking the Bus by Jonathan Richmond, which I feel is a song that is spiritually ukulele song. It's a brilliant song. Do you know that song? No, I don't think so. We got on the website at the moment because we've done the, we've done the top ten of buses in rock. And it's actually our top bus song. You're crazy for taking the bus by Jonathan Richmond. It's all about how he takes the Greyhound when the rest of his band take the plane and so forth. And, uh, you know. It would sound good in a uke, I think. It's brilliant. Can, and you, go, can you go electric on the ukulele? No shant you, does that? You? I <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely idea, isn't it? It'll shout you, Cass. That's fantastic. You, Cass. Joke's got to be a yeah. first. Hold the listeners. <laughs> the Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast. A way of life. At this point in the programme, it's traditional to have the horror, the whole real rock anecdote. And Paul and I are going to try and, try and duet on this Ooh. one. Ooh. We're going to try and piece this together. Because it concerns John Lennon. And Paul, you've written a book about John Lennon, haven't you? Uh, yep, yep. I, I've certainly, I've certainly uh, done my homework on John Lennon. Right. Because this concerns... I'm going to attempt to start this story. And then I'm going to maybe hand it over. Because this concerns... Well, the two protagonists of the story are both dead. Uh, one of them, thankfully, <laughs> and that one is Morris Levy, okay, yeah. who there is apparently recently a character in The Sopranos based on Morris Levy because he was supposedly the most connected guy in the record business in the 50s and the 1960s. Actually, it goes back before then. He used to run Birdland. He used to run various jazz clubs. And if you ran clubs, you were probably well-known to organised crime because you couldn't function without them. And Maurice Levy realised early on that he had significant power over his artists, that if he could acquire the copyright to tunes that they performed or debuted in this club, he might do well. Which is how he ended up owning the copyright to things like Lullaby of Birdland. You know, so, such lesser-known <laughs> tunes like that. And then when rock and roll came along in the 1950s, he thought, whoopee, we make hay here. And so he signed up. Lots of mainly um, African-American artists to Roulette Records or to his publisher. And so he signed the likes of Chuck Berry and Frankie Lyon and the Teenagers and also Ben Lee Dorsey, various people like that. And he was pretty fast and loose with the publishing deals he did. There were many members of Morris Levy's family who never realised he had a musical talent at all until they saw the publishing credits of Frankie Lyon and the Teenagers <laughs> Why Do Falls Fall In Love and realised that Morris had supplied quite a considerable amount of it. You know. And uh, it's like in those days, if you, look at, if you look at some of Chuck Berry's early credits, you'll see Berry Freed, Alan Freed, the DJ. They give him a quarter it, in, yeah. in return for playing it. So, Morris Levy was a person you did not mess with, and he found himself in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, owning a lot of copyrights. Apparently, at one stage, I found out, he owned the expression rock and roll? He, he claimed to, didn't he? <laughs> That's brilliant. He, co- he had copyrights. He well, copyrights. He published it, they owed him 25 He copyrighted rock and roll, so that, like, Alan Freed and people like that wanted to do rock and roll movies, or... You know, radio programs or whatever. Oh, I'm sorry, you've got to, you've got to see me all right, you know. And probably no matter how ludicrous the demand was, when Morris and presumably his muscle turned up in your office <laughs> suggesting you had a nice place here and you wouldn't have anything unpleasant to happen to it, yeah. he knows where your kids would go to school, yeah. you know, you would probably be inclined to, um, to recognise the fact that he did own uh, rock yeah. and roll. So, anyway, 
He's still around. He's got a semi-retirement in the 70s. When a little-known group in Liverpool <laughs> called the Beatles put out Abbey Road. Is that right, Paul? Yes. You take over from Yeah, Yes, no, I, I, the story's coming back to me now. I wrote about this and I did this book about the lone songs called uh, We All Sign On. And it was... Um, <laughs> Very half turned off. And it was the opening track of uh, Abbey Road was um, uh, called Come Together. Very atmospheric, kind of one note sort of thing, as you'll recall. And it includes a line that goes, um, Here come old flat top, grooving up slowly. And this was just... Just one line. Just one line. Yeah. And, and I don't think there's any music in it, actually. It's sort of, kind of on one note, as far as I can recall. Yeah. It's, it's got a particular rhythm to it. Uh, anyway, the keen-eared uh, Morris Levy, or one of his minions, um, realised that this was taken from... It was a very knowing quotation from Chuck Berry's song, uh, You Can't Catch Me. You Can't Catch Me. Um, <laughs> which is a kind of one of these, you know, kind of automobile type of... It's a race songs. song. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so um, they um, they issued uh, a writ against uh, John Lennon. I mean, you know, what ju- bigger, juicier target was there in 1969? The, the Beatles. But, you know, track one, side one, the yeah. Beatles' new album. They only sue people who've got a lot of money. Yeah, yeah exactly. So they thought, um, Kerching. Anyway, um, uh, the, so the, the, the legal, the legal um, uh, fight went on for a little while. And now... As I, rec- as I remember it, the resolution they eventually hit upon was that John Lennon, now now uh, in his post-Beatles era, uh, and frankly struggling for, for decent new material, resolved to write to, to record an entire album of Morris Levy copyrights. Now apparently he agreed to do two, but then when he sat down with the catalogue he thought, oh there's loads here, I've got a whole album here. Oh, right, right. That's what I read. Anyway, go on. And yeah. went on to make rock and roll. So it? this yeah. is the album that yeah. subsequently became... Well, it, well, they had a more tortuous history. It's a, it's a record he starts to make when he was, when he was having his lost weekend with um, oh, yes. that sort of ever-present force for stability in one's life, <laughs> Phil Spector. <laughs> yeah. So they're making... And Harry Nielsen. And Harry Nielsen Harry, Harry yes. just to calm things down. Fancy another brother Alexander is still there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And who's that knocking? Oh, it's Keith Moon. Come in, Keith. Yeah, yeah. Have you sell a tape of coast? Yes. Put a sandwich on to your forehead. That's great. Have a brandy. So then at some point, uh, Phil Spector falls out with uh, John and kidnaps the... uh, Takes away the tapes. Uh, So cue another legal fight to get the tapes. But anyway, long story short, the the album comes out as rock and roll in 1975 and um, turned out to be the... um, the last thing John Lennon recorded as part of his EMI deal, the deal which had begun with the Beatles, that was what um, right. cleared. So that was his final release yeah. um, before going you know, into this uh, reclusive condition for, for the last five years of his life. So it's incredible. Really, it's incredible tortured tape. Unbelievable. Because also, Spectre, as Paul says, disappears from the tapes for like six months. you know, And then when they get them back, after having paid Spectre his money... Uh, Lennon sits down with the tapes and decides they're not good enough because there's kind of leakage from tracks and things like that. And so it started again, effectively. Yep. I think only two tracks of the original original sessions were used on there. It's about the most expensive, tortuous way to make a record you can possibly imagine. You know, 
and it's just kind of cock up on, what's so, on cock up. What's so bizarre is I remember it coming out in whatever it was, 1975 or whatever, and I can remember coming out and doing none of this. And thinking, no. great, John Lennon's covered um, you know, some of my favourite songs, Stand By Me, this is lovely. Yes. I, I, I just remember, it, 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 it is just so amazing, isn't it, to go yeah. and footnotes these things. Yeah. So he's also, yes, this is the character. He's said to play the, Morris Levy is said, said to play the character Hesh Rabkin in The Sopranos. I don't keep up with The Sopranos nowadays. You might know better than I do. I think it was in, very early in The Sopranos, wasn't it? There was just a little subplot about... The fictional about, character um, who kept racehorses and that ties to the mafia. He's also been said that, that some of the lyrics of Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie were inspired by Morris Levy as well. So anyway, Morris Levy... Um, Dead God bless now. him. Dead now. God bless Lovely him. Lovely man. Right. Sweetheart. Yes. Oh, he's see you, right? He Very would. nice to his family. Oh, yeah. 24-carat individual once yeah, you under his skin. Lovely man. Leave your back door open. Never a problem. Oh, yeah. Mr. Levy would come in there. Yeah, come around with a cup of sugar. <laughs> if you need it. Only kneecapped his own. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.